0: Good morning. Wow, you're a lively bunch. See if I can put you to sleep. Well, it is good to be here. I want to personally thank you on behalf of myself, Sally, and our family for all your prayers and um, your kind words. at the passing of my mom, our mom, our grandmother, great-grandmother, too many. Uh, you know, for 89 years, my mom was a God-hater. But as of last Easter, on Resurrection Day, she's now a God-lover. And that's a lot of comfort. I'd also like to talk for a minute... Um, about love. And it's so hard in the world today because the world and all its influences has made love evil, perverted, distorted, ugly, vain, superficial. And yet in its purest form we see it in God. And um, that's why in the Christian world, um, courtships, engagements, weddings, and anniversaries are so wonderful, so joyful. Because there's such a contrast between the world and how it handles it and how the Christian church does. And it's fun, it's just downright fun. And uh, somewhat exciting to see love occur, occur, occur between a man and a woman, as we've recently seen, and Dean brought it to our attention this morning. But uh, the two of them sitting back there right now—they're just grinning from ear to ear, <laughs> and rightfully so. And and we love to see that, don't we? And it's infectious. It really is. It gets things going. Um, and, and, and just the world has done such a horrible job portraying how wonderful and lovely that love can be. So this morning, let's just take a moment in prayer, shall we? Heavenly Father, we come to you today in the name of your Son, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And we just ask, Father, that you take these words, and we pray they be your words, thoughts, and scriptures, and just minister them to minister these to us. And help us to hear them. Help us, as always, to apply them where they will. Help us. And as always, we pray, if there's anyone here who has not come to know you as their Lord and Savior, has not discovered how much you love them, how much your love was displayed for them at Calvary, we pray this would be the first day of the rest of their life. And we pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you turn with me this morning to the book of Revelations a fairly familiar chapter and verses and it's Revelation chapter 2 starting at verse 1 This is an easy book to find for the new believers. It's the last one in the Bible. Not like some of them. The minor prophets are still a little challenging for me sometimes to to find them. Revelation chapter 2 verses, we'll start with the first, but 1 through 7. To the angel of the church at Ephesus write, The one who holds the stars in his right hand, The one who walks among the seven golden lampstands says this. I know your deeds and your toil and your perseverance. And that you cannot tolerate evil men. And you put to the test those who call themselves apostles. And they are not. For you found them to be false. And you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. But I have this against you that you have left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent. And do the deeds you did at first. Or else I am coming to you. And will remove your lampstand out of its place. Unless you repent. Yet this you do have. That you hate the deeds of the Nickelodeons. Which I also hate. He who has an ear. Let him hear. What the Spirit says to the churches, to him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. A question we've read about Ephesus in the, in the book of Acts. We've seen the letter that Paul wrote to them. We know that Paul spent three years with them. And after Paul, Timothy was with them. And there was a time where John the Apostle spent time with them. This was a church full of strength and righteousness and truth. This church had a marvelous testimony. What went wrong in this church? But to understand what went wrong, we first have to define and understand fully what, from God's perspective, first love is. First love is a wonderful thing. We acquire first love when we pray To God, confessing our sins and accepting Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. When that happens, the minute, the moment it happens at conversion, we receive the Holy Spirit literally into our life. And it's wonderful. And it's marvelous. And the fruit of the Spirit is ours. Things that we've never experienced before. Maybe we didn't have the ability to love. Maybe we didn't have the ability to be kind. Maybe we didn't have the ability to be gentle. But all of a sudden, we're given the most marvelous abilities. Love, joy, peace, all peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It's a marvelous thing. We have been given immediately a relationship like no other we've ever known in Jesus Christ. It's unbelievable. But as we discuss this this morning, remember one thing. Unless we're truly born again, we do not have that first love. We cannot have that first love. Much less really understand What that first love is. What does it mean to have that first love? What does it mean? We experience a gratitude for God rescuing us. That is almost indescribable. There is a relief, isn't there? The burden has rolled away. We taste, we experience literally a spirit of forgiveness. And we didn't do it. We didn't deserve it. We shouldn't have gotten it. But we did. Because we did one thing. We got honest with God. We humbled ourselves, didn't we? We came face to face with who we really are. In all its ugliness, in all its wickedness, in all its evil. And I can say, and I believe all of you can agree with me, so undeserving, but so thankful. Psalm 40, which we heard this morning. By our dear brother. I'm going to repeat. Three of those verses. Because David so. Puts it so well. In his words. Bless the Lord all my soul. And all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord all my soul. And forget none of his benefits. Who pardons all your iniquities. Who heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit. Boy, weren't we in it. Who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion. Who satisfies your years with good things. So that your youth is renewed like the eagle. That's what happens, doesn't it? David also has a precious portion of scripture in Psalm. Don't turn to it. Just listen. Psalm 40 verses 1 through 3. I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined to me and heard my cry. He brought me out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay. He set my feet upon a rock, making my footsteps firm. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and will trust in the Lord. And you remember back when you got saved. You had to have family members or friends or coworkers, that within a day or two had to notice a difference. Had to say something. I remember a coworker at work. Because yeah, there was a pretty big change. I wasn't the nicest guy. So what's with you? But that's a good thing. That's a very good thing. Because now he gets to find out. And isn't that fun when you're first saved? How fun and how wonderful it is to share with others what's happened in your life. Boy, there's no problem with sharing Christ at that point. No hindrance. No wondering how they'll feel. You just don't even care how they feel because you're feeling so wonderful and you want to give to them what you've got. Man, it's just great. We have real peace in our soul. No more burden. We become driven. To please God at any cost. We all of a sudden have a blind trust in our Savior. We believe what we read and soak it up. We delight in obeying God's will. And God's will and God's love are inseparable. Period. They're linked like this. What are some of the signs of that first love? We desire to spend time with our Savior. We desire to know more about Him. We can't get enough about Him. (laughs) Don't ask who it is. We have a desire to converse, in other words, pray with Him as much as we can. We can't get enough of the Bible and the reading of it. We discover commentaries and Bible dictionaries, and we're just loving it because it's explaining things that we can't understand in the Word of God. We enjoy going to church. And really enjoy the company of Christians. And when you're out at a restaurant or even at work, maybe in a cubicle or somewhere where you're around people or even strangers or on a transit like BART or a bus. And you hear somebody talking about Jesus. Oh, that's good. It all of a sudden puts a spark in you. It's wonderful to know there's other Christians out there. These are the signs of first love. Why is first love so important in the Christian life? Because it separates us from the masses of just religious people. People who go to church. People who may tithe. People who may read their devotion. People who may go through the motions. But they're not born again. They're not converted. They can know Bible verses. They can, do, they can look good. They can be nice people. But there's a separation there between the truly converted and those who are just religious. And God's love is the great separation there. His love keeps us balanced. In our lives. His love. Our affection for him. Keeps us. Holy. Keeps us. Happy. We're his. It is what attracts people to us that don't know him. And you may work with someone for days, weeks, months, or years. But sooner or later, if they're truly searching, they'll ask you, do you have a minute? They'll ask you, what what exactly is making you so happy? What is it that, that makes you the way you are? God's love. And we now have a genuine care and concern for others. When Christians don't really think much about or care much about or burn in much about others, something is really, really wrong in our life. Something between us and Christ is wrong. that God's love doesn't allow this to be taking place constantly. God's first love is something we receive the moment we're saved. God's love is something that is never, ever not to be with us. It doesn't. Our lives, our character transform. Our spiritual maturity matures over a period of time. But God's love in us is never to change. But it did, didn't it? For the the church at Ephesus. And that's scary. For a church that was so powerful. I thank God every day for this man and his wife Sylvia that have that love, that live that love that share that love and display that love 24-7. We're blessed to have such examples. But at your or my beck and call, they pick up their phone. And I get a little warm under the collar when someone comes to me And has the audacity to say, well, I would go to them, but they just don't have enough time. Uh, Newsflash, okay? I straighten them out immediately. I take that fallacy, and that concept may have been whispered in their ear by the devil, but it's a big, fat lie. God's love makes them accessible 24-7. So how is it possible... To lose our first love with Christ. Some people consider me at times a Johnny One Note. But I'm sorry. It doesn't bother me in this case. Because sin is the enemy of the Christian walk. And the life with Christ. Nothing separates us quicker From our Savior. We're not talking about our salvation. That's steadfast. No one once saved can ever lose their salvation. We're not talking about that. But our relationship with him. Our companionship with him. Our vitality. Our empowerment. Our love can diminish through sin. No believer can afford to hang on to or dabble with sin. No one. Nobody. A quote by Billy Sunday. One reason sin flourishes is is that it is treated like a cream puff instead of a rattlesnake. Okay, you thin people, maybe you don't relate so much. But I'm telling you, if there's a cream puff on the shelf, I'm going for it. The, the secret's out. It's in the top five for me. <clears throat> but can you imagine, you think you're going for a cream puff on the shelf at the bakery or the grocery store, and all of a sudden, what appears but a coiled, ready-to-strike rattlesnake. Now, maybe some of you have only seen them in the movies, But I had the misfortune with a friend of mine once riding up in the mountains on horses to have one right underneath us, coiled and trying to strike. Man, it's scary. You do not want to be there. That's how we should be with sin. That's Billy Sunday's thought on it. What did Joseph do when sin was presented? Did he give a good speech for Christ? Did he say, get thee behind me, Satan, to Potiphar's wife? Hit the road. Hit the road like that. And he ended up back in prison. We need to have the spirit of righteousness that was embreded in Joseph when it comes to sin. And the devil's out there and the devil has so many ways to cripple us. Remember, our power and our protection comes from the Holy Spirit. In this church, that's known. But, what can sin do? Ephesians 4.30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. 1 Thessalonians 5.19. Do not quench the Spirit. That is what happens. Our only success, our only way to victory in our life as a Christian is for God to fully have his way and the Holy Spirit to be in control of everything in our life. One of our greatest enemies is one of the devil's finest designs for the Christian, and that's the sin of self-worship. He desires for us to have all the attention, doesn't he? And wants us to have our way. And when it's not there, boy, oh boy, can we pout. And you know, the devil is the best planner you can ever hire for your pity party. He can do a better job than you or anybody else. Are we sad when others get all the attention? woo hoo Woe is me. You know what that is? That's selfishness. And what's selfishness? Sin. There's no gray area with God. Things are either white or they're black. And, and selfishness, the sin of selfishness has some real close cousins. Bitterness, jealousy, and gossip. Boy, they travel together a lot. But how they cripple the children of God. Are we so bitter in our walk about something that we can't? We don't seem to have the ability to to forgive, much less forget about it. You know, in the world, they call that a grudge. Is there any room in the Christians' walk for grudges? God forgave us. We need to be able to forgive. We have to forgive. We have no choice but to forgive. And this, was, and this is in Ephesians to the letter that, that Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus. Listen to this. Let all bitterness... Next verse after the one about grieving the Holy Spirit. No coincidence there. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving each other. And here's the closer. Just as God in Christ also forgave us. God is pure. God is holy. God is perfect. God is sinless. God is righteousness. And he forgave us who didn't, 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 shouldn't have been forgiven. But he did. So who are we to decide we are so important So self-effacing, so full of ourselves that we can, in our own will, decide not to forgive somebody else. Who? Who? Stand up if there's anybody. There's nobody. We were deserving of condemnation, but he gave it to us. He he gave his life for us. Who are we? What is it that possesses us to think we can't forgive somebody and forget? Pride. And there's the worst sin of all. The sin that kicked the devil out of heaven. Pride. Bitterness has a poison that will absolutely rot our soul and spirit. It can stop us from thinking clearly, seeing clearly. Not being able to repent, not being able to forgive, continually trying to blame others for our shortcomings, continually trying to lay the the problem at someone else or circumstances, but no personal accountability can't happen when when bitterness has its chokehold around us. And are we angry, resentful at other people's success? This is jealousy. No better. Crippling. Do we find ourselves having a hard time rejoicing in other people's successes? Jealousy. It'll kill us. It'll kill our walk. It'll rob us of our vitality, our happiness, our joy, our peace. In Sylvia's message on Thursday, she talked about there are people that, well, if you're going to be near that one, you've got to walk on eggshells. I like her response. Kind of reminds me of the ex-Mayor Carmel. She said, I don't do eggshells. Absolutely not. She will lovingly sit them down and and, and explain there are no eggshells here. There's a need for change in that person's life. Rebellion. Oh, boy. You know, rebellion doesn't ever start big. It's not just a big explosion. Rebellion starts when self-importance and self-worship and pride are taken hold. Because then all of a sudden we're starting to, to, to not just accept the scriptures and follow them. We're starting to decide, well, let me look at this and evaluate it. There is no evaluating God's commands. There's only obeying them. One of the worst things that ever happened to this country, because they still sometimes call this a Christian country, but it's so not a Christian country. It's filled with a lot of Christians, but it's lost its principles. It's lost what the forefathers laid down because they did lay down Christian principles. And that was the hippie movement of the 60s. You know, they had all their dancing, all their LSD, all this stuff. But that was just the the surface. What they ushered in was a new attitude. God is dead. Question authority. And no guidelines or censorship. That was their banner. That's what they held high immoral immoral immorality excuse me and anarchy was their grand movement under it all and so much of that has been instilled in our institutions and thank you in our schools In the media, it's tragic. It's tragic to see the way things have gone. They hate the word holiness. Rebels hate the word holiness. What does holiness mean in one word? Dean, if you were to decide on one word for holiness, what would it be? Boom. It's there. It's not our plan. It's his plan. There needs to be separation from things that are wrong in a Christian's life. If we don't, we will be harmed. We will be affected by the wrong things around us. Some some little warning signs. Do we still love to read and discover things about Christ like we did in the beginning? Do we do we have great anticipation when it's time for prayer? Do we do we really look forward to going to church or when we don't make it? Is there somehow a relief? Really bad signs. For a Christian, do we prefer less convicting activities than reading the Bible and going to church? You know, a woman years ago said something to Sylvia Nadel. She said, you know, I go to church to to feel good. I can't go to your church anymore because all you do is convict me. OK, two things. Conviction is never fun. Conviction isn't a warm fuzzy. If it is, we need to help you. Because something's wrong. Okay? You can be thankful for conviction. Yes. But, oh, that was so good. No. It strikes, doesn't it? It hurts. It reasons. That's conviction. Conviction. Conviction is good and necessary in each and every Christian's life. It's what keeps us on the straight and narrow. There's no perfect Christian. We sin, don't we? Conviction. You can be reading along and boop, boop. All of a sudden something gets you. Lord, forgive me. Do we really, when something goes wrong, or we think wrong, or we say something wrong, or we do something wrong, is there still a... Hey, what is going on? Or is that kind of faded away? (laughs) A prideful, negative, judgmental spirit will rob us of our relationship with Jesus Christ. There actually are Christians out there who think, who have somehow gotten in their mind... That it's their gift to always be criticizing others, always be judging others, always making the decision and looking, hearing a message and saying, oh, that'd be good for them. That'd be good for him. There was a guy here once, been a while, who sat every message and had a little book. And wrote in it. Pretty much everybody noticed he was writing. So Some people write notes with messages. Nothing wrong with that. But one day Gina. Sorry Gina. Was just happened to sit next to him. Innocently. And. He was, There was a preacher. Preaching a really powerful. Wonderful message. That day and she just happened to look down and there it was on his on his leg or lap his book preacher slumps preacher moves around from the pulpit too much preacher this preacher that boo, 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 boo. nothing about him and what the message was doing for him that he could go back to He had the real gift of spiritual judgment. He was the king of it. Always guard yourself, never to let this happen in your life. And lastly, most importantly, if we notice that our first love has diminished or maybe even gone away, how can we restore it? With all respect and all love, has anything today pricked someone or maybe even made them angry? If yes, well, that's good. That's okay. If you've been convicted by something you heard this morning, as I said before, conviction is good. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's okay. We need it. Because right around the corner is going to come the next thought that we have hurt our Savior with our conduct, our thoughts, or our speech. Remember in the past, we literally dedicated our soul spirit, and body to Jesus Christ. Each and every one of us that's a Christian gave him everything, wanted him in charge of everything. If that has changed, you haven't become wiser, you haven't become more spiritually mature, you have started losing or you've lost your first love with him. Remember how wonderful it once was. And start turning back to him. And remember this. Remember the prodigal son's father. What did he do every day? Went out there on the porch and hoped to see the prodigal son returning. Do you know every day? Our Heavenly Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, wait for us if we've lost our first love to return to them. Remember again what he did for us, for you, for me. The price that he paid for us. How much at one time we appreciated it. Colossians one thirteen and 14. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You see, as we get older as Christians, we don't ever appreciate that less. We appreciate it more. And it means more. And if it doesn't, you're not more mature in your walk. There's plenty wrong in the walk. So in conclusion, if we'd all just bow our heads, close our eyes. I want to read a few things and then we'll end in prayer. Remember, in this world, repentance is not a popular word. But it's so very necessary for restoration. A quote, real repentance thinks God's thoughts about sin and hates it. Takes God's side against self and dies to it. Turns to God himself and serves him. First, confess our sins. First, John 1:19. It's so easy. Only our self, our pride, and our will can, can make this difficult, and it's anything but. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, First Thessalonians five, sixteen through eighteen. This should be our daily exercise. Every day, all day. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for today. We thank you for the life we have. We are so undeserving of it, but so thankful for it. We love you so much. We thank you that we're not alone in this world. Everywhere we go, everything we do, everything we say, you're with us. Help us each and every day, Lord, to let you have your perfect will and way in our life. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.